Welcome to the Daily Drive. This show is dedicated to keeping you educated, informed, and most importantly, driven to succeed. We want your feedback, so call us at 1-800-437-5121. Everyone on the Daily Drive Show team hopes you enjoy this show. Here's your host, Ken Noor. Welcome to the Daily Drive. I'm so incredibly glad that you are here today. We had a great interview yesterday with Jeff Kapisky from Power Inbox, and it ran so long we had leftovers. We're going to play the remainder of that interview. Let's pick up where we left off. In this remote workplace environment, for team communications, do you use video and telecommunication tools as well, or is it pretty much all text or or is it a blend? It's all of the above. We're obviously a heavy user of Slack. Uh, we use Zoom. Uh, you know, we use Uber Conference. We use Google Hangouts. Uh, we use, you know, plain old cell phone, uh, even once in a while on a landline. Uh, and, you know, frankly, an airplane uh, as needed as well. So, uh, you know, like I said, I always believe there's multiple levels of communication. I would say that the um, productivity benefits after people see each other in person are, are very measurable as well. So anytime we get new employees, it is very important that we try and connect them in person uh, with the teams they'll be working with as early in their onboarding as we can, uh, even to the point where we'll fly them to a location in their first week just so that they can pair up with somebody and have that interaction as they get, uh, you know, incorporated into the team and, you know, get up to speed on what their specific contributions will need to be. I love diving into this because I don't get a chance to talk to organizations very often that are built. This is a fairly, fairly new phenomenon. I'm not saying that it's, you know, brand new like as in yesterday, but uh, the idea of a complete 100% remote workplace is is up and coming. That's not, that's not the norm. So from a cost structure, are you offsetting the costs of transporting and, and flying people together and meeting, is that offset because you don't have the, the physical uh, plant costs? Absolutely. And, and I would say on the whole, we're still probably a lot more efficient because of something else that goes with not having a physical location. Uh, generally, in my experience, when you've had lots of people uh, in one location, there tends to be a desire to kind of build some hierarchy. So your sales department would have an individual account executive, then maybe a director, then a VP, SVP, you know, CRO, uh, and then the CEO, right? And all those layers have a whole bunch of reasons based on scope and planning and, you know, communication. And, and many sales organizations, as an example, will evolve that way. You know, we've taken the explicit approach that says there's no reason why I can't, uh, using an outcomes-based management philosophy, have just account executives without necessarily having a lot of layers of management. And so it's not just that we are remote and we don't have a physical office, but we actually are probably a lot more flat uh, than other organizations uh, of our revenue size uh, because we've really thought about building that talent and capabilities at the line level uh, and not a model where you have you know, more junior, less experienced people on the front line and then a layer of management to try and kind of uh, get the most out of those resources turn here a little bit towards 
employee development, how do you make sure that you're giving good quality feedback uh, to employees when you have so many that are, you know, kind of reporting into into you, actually? Well, no, I, I still am sensitive to the number of direct reports, and I, I don't think I've gone about eight uh, ever, and consistent with organizations that are much larger than I managed as well. So it's probably less about, you know, my direct reports, but I'd say in general we do uh, have a very um, – kind of highly recommended uh, communication process. So for manager employee, you know, definitely weekly one-on-ones, monthly check-in on, on kind of goals, and then annual formal reviews on everything from, you know, alignment with culture, long-term career planning, and then obviously, you know, execution against uh, individual targets. You know, our view is that that hopefully creates enough checkpoints and both short-form and long-form discussions you know, our view is ultimately these all things should be discussions, not just once a year events. And if you do uh, this correct, there's never surprises when those discussions take place. And kind of everybody knows where they stand and they know what they need to do to kind of go to the next level. Right. Ongoing communication, those one-on-ones are super critical. And you try to in- implement those all the way through the chain. That's, that's fantastic. What has been your most satisfying moment in business? Oh, that's a really good question. I have not thought about that in a while because I've had lots of, uh, I'd say, uh, company success. I've worked for companies that have gone public. I've worked for companies that have been sold. Um, I've had some personal success. Um, I'd say that probably the most uh, uh, kind of successful or at least satisfied is when I've seen someone I've managed uh, achieve something that they've decided was important to them. So when I've been able to kind of promote somebody to kind of then take on a much larger role, that always gives me a lot of personal satisfaction. What are some of the biggest mistakes you, you think a CEO could make, maybe, uh, that you've learned from? Yeah, it usually does come down to how you build your team. And I'd say almost always the, the recruiting errors, that either you didn't follow a good process or you, your gut told you one thing, your head told you something else, and you didn't trust your gut enough. Um, and I think that's both for people that you didn't secure, that you thought were good, but away and, and sometimes the ones that you settled for um, you know I, I'd probably point out to the cost to the company of having somebody that's not a match uh, for the position uh, ends up costing a lot and, and that in my experience has been probably about the big mistakes that I've had to learn the most from to say it that way. what is it you go through to to really make the right choice about the people that join your team? Yeah, and I think that, to be honest, that's an evolving uh, process. Uh, we just, uh, as a company, completed reading the book Who, which uh, if you're familiar with that uh, philosophy of recruiting, it's all about kind of approaching it like you would any process, where you've got a very systematic way of evaluating candidates, creating a scorecard, which very much aligns with getting to a description of outcomes. So if you think about it, if you're not clear about what the role has to accomplish, it's going to be very hard to find if the candidate is a fit for that because you'll be testing more of, do you like this person, can they fit in, versus, you know, did this person close this amount of business with these types of clients, and that's what this job is looking for. So we're evolving into, I think, a better process, but I've learned a lot that that's going to be a better fit for us, especially because we are remote. Um, I think it's recognizing it will take longer, uh, both in terms of elapsed time and the amount of time that, you know, each person involved in the process has to commit to that process. If it's the most important thing for the company, it should also take up the most amount of time. 
Uh, and again, I think all these things are we're, we're evolving to. I wouldn't say we're perfect yet, but where we've had success is when we've um, really kind of invested the time. And ultimately, if you hire good people, that's going to be the best way to hire more good people because good people are attracted to others and they either know them in their personal network or they recognize and identify with them as soon as they start interviewing. Uh, so A players find other A players, uh, and that, that's an important part of how you think about this. I'm going to give you a few wrap-up questions here, but before I go to those, it's just a curiosity question. Did you grow up with a family that were leaders, or is this uh, were they in business like you, or is this uh, are you the first generation, multi generation? Um, I mean, I grew up in a very positive, uh, I guess, a family situation. I was the middle of three boys in Southern California, and uh, my father is still an attorney uh, in that area, and my mother works in the uh, in museum and a lot of nonprofit work. Um, you know, I definitely was appreciative of, of all the opportunities they gave me and, and their own personal leadership. Um, not so much uh, business, uh, probably, examples. We were more the professional class in our, in our family, so I had to look outside for those uh, role models. Um, but I'd say that the, the approach to business as a professional is something that probably has been ingrained within me. And I like to think that that's also how I run the company, and it's very much uh, you know the same way you would run a law firm or you know, a doctor's office or, or any place where you want you know people to, to recognize professionalism uh, as opposed to being something more like a family uh, you know practice, which which I think has some positives, but but sometimes more negatives. Very interesting. Other than your company, what company do you admire the most? Um. You know, obviously, you look at lots of different companies and examples. I used to be a big fan of Netflix, and they've had very much published about their culture that they were one of the first to go with unlimited PTO, and they've talked a lot about kind of their hiring processes and stuff. Uh, interesting, I think they might have gone too far recently where I've heard that they've been <laughs> weeding out old founders that have really built the company uh, you know, for missing one quarter. So, so I, I'd say that sometimes the culture can overwhelm the organization from what they had created. Uh, but, you know, I think you can get lessons from, from any and all. You know, we try and listen to our clients. Uh, we hear how they, you know, handle things. We try and talk to partners. Uh, you try and talk to friends and peers. I, I fully believe in a peer network. Uh, and so I participate in, in, in several CEO forums where I can learn from others that are in similar roles, but, but very different industries or companies or locations. And I strongly encourage, no matter what role you're in in any organization, is to find that peer group that you can always bounce ideas off of and learn from. Uh, I think you'll find that those are sometimes much more valuable than a board or, or an advisory council of those clients or trade shows or other places people generally you know, congregate at. If you could travel back to the very first day that you joined this company and you could have a meeting with your former self on the day you walked in, what piece of advice would you have given yourself then? Yeah, trust your gut. I think the, the, the pivots that we made, some of them were a lot more painful than others because of the amount of time it took until we took that hard decision, change out the product, change the team, and in some cases change out the investors, <laughs> um, you know, go outside for talent. You know, a lot of those tough decisions uh, took, you know, about two years to fully execute on. And uh, obviously if I see where we are now versus what we could have been if we started that earlier, you know, I think we've been you know, much further ahead. Uh, and so I, I feel like we're still catching up uh, to, to where we should be. So that's probably the advice I'd give myself. Trust your gut. I like that. I like that a lot. 
And then the final question is, is kind of the final question. You're going to ask the final question. If you were conducting this interview, what question would you ask you? What uh, mindset would you say most associated with whatever success uh, you've experienced as CEO? Yeah, so and apart from obviously thinking about the team, because that's really the number one. But the number two would be uh, never give up. And really success almost always correlates to the people that stayed in it uh, and didn't quit and just, you know, kept at it until they found the right solution. I can point to many, many indications that, you know, the only thing different between us and another company was that we didn't give up. You bring a very entrepreneurial feel to a CEO role. Uh, you weren't know, a founder of this company. You were brought in as a CEO, but that idea of persistence and never quit, your your willingness, as you've described it to me, to pivot multiple times is very much indicative of that philosophy of don't give up, have great persistence, and we'll find the success as we uh, navigate our way through uh, this idea of uh, you don't have ego. The, the, the first idea doesn't have to be the perfect and right idea. The idea that um, ultimately delivers, you know, success may not even be known to you on the first day. Do you consider yourself to be an entrepreneurial CEO? You know, I never do, and, and I actually always joke that I'm management 2.0. I'm the one they bring in after the founders have started when the investors are saying, look, I think this business is really already at, at the 3.0 stage, and you realize it's really still at 1.0. So hopefully on that translation uh, from a, a true startup environment to ultimately a successful scaling company. Uh, but, but it is very much a translation hall of uh, what we need on the ground to, to what you know, outsiders are expecting and, and kind of assuming. Uh, and so I do see myself very much as a transitional figure, uh, but sometimes that can last a long time. It was great to meet with you. I feel like I've got a whole nother interview because I know that you worked on getting investment for this organization and all of there's an entire storyline there that I think would be fantastic. And at some point in the future, when you find yourself more time, I'd love to invite you back to the show. You have been a fountain of knowledge and it's been great to have you on the show, Jeff. I really want to thank you for coming out today and spending so much time with us and our and our audience and, and, and sharing your, your valuable lessons. It's my pleasure, and thanks so much for the opportunity. Wow, wasn't that great visiting with Jeff today? I hope that you learned as much as I did, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsor, That Company. Why is That Company the white-label digital marketing provider for some of the biggest agencies in the industry? Because we get results, we retain clients, and we deliver profitability. Visit www.thatcompany.com to find out how we can make your agency more profitable. If you want to give us feedback, call us now at 1-800-437-5121 or drop by dailydriveshow.com. Make sure you add us to your Alexa daily briefing skill. Don't forget that you can listen to us live every day on WQBQ at 7.30 a.m. The show wouldn't be possible without the Daily Drive Show team, web guru Taj Royer, executive producer Josh Cardoza, and the social media man with the plan. And Roy Wilson. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow.